Welcome to the Cardboard Herald Reviews, where we give you audio versions of our game reviews, then go behind the scenes of our creative process. So there you are, you're reading a book or watching a movie and the hero is just about to save the day with some magical doodad that is going to fix everything and they all of a sudden lob off some dark lord's hand and claim some ring and suddenly they are the person who gets all the fame, fortune, and glory of being the hero. And you're wondering, what about the person who actually made that? Don't they deserve a cut of the cred? And that is exactly what Mana Forge by Mystic Tiger Games is all about. In this dice rolling resource allocation game, you are competing with your friends to have the most prestigious smithery where you are creating these artifacts for all the heroes to use. In Mana Forge, players use their beautiful pastel dice to generate mana and purchase items from the supply. These items are either one-time effects resolved then chucked straight into your storage, or powerful workshop cards that can be exhausted every turn for a variety of effects, usually having to do with getting more points or generating even more mana. Furthermore, through dice, cards, or asymmetric powers in the form of talents, you can also earn mana gems, which are like stored mana that can be carried over from turn to turn, or permanently slotted into your items in your workshop, making them even more powerful and mighty, which is probably the aspect of the game that feels most in sync with the theme. On a player's turn, in any order that they choose, they can resolve up to four of their rolled dice, perform any number of actions, and purchase one card from the supply. Now these beautiful dice correspond to the four primary elements in the game and are the cornerstone of your magical forgery. Not only do they produce mana of the affiliated dice type, but also they produce mana gems, which are super handy. Beyond that, they can also produce mana for the affiliated elements to their dice color, and each color or mana type has a different special ability that can be rolled when activated, you can resolve them. For example, the wind one can be activated in order to straighten an already exhausted card, allowing you to use it another time this turn, all of these are handy. <laughs> yeah, then there are the super rad pink dice. They are pretty, they are pink, and they are arcane. They show two symbols on every side, and you get to choose which one of those symbols you resolve when you use this dice. As play continues, the cards you buy become more fearsome and expensive due to the arrangement of the deck. 18 dawn cards followed by 18 noon, then 18 dusk. After nine rounds, the deck is empty, the remaining supply is discarded, and you meet up with your smithing buddies to count up points and brag about who has the biggest longswords and most beautiful breastplates of the day. But wait, no smith is an island unto themselves. No, you need helpers. And as I said earlier, asymmetry in Mana Forge comes in the form of talent, a crew of helpers that you draft at the beginning of the game. And then of the four that you keep, you decide which two you're going to discard so long, suckers, and begin play with the two remaining. Not only do they have some sort of special powers that will give you a little bit of a nudge out the door and a little bit of direction to focus in the game, but they also add corresponding dice 
to your pool of the four basic dice so that way you have an extra bit of capabilities. I really dig this system of crafting your asymmetric powers to start out the game. Here's the thing about Mana Forge. Every turn is a puzzle about what you can do on that specific turn. And yeah, sure, your mana gems can carry over from turn to turn. You'll get to roll the same dice next turn and your items in your workshop can be used every turn but you don't know what you're going to roll next turn. You don't know what items are going to be in the marketplace or even if you'll be able to afford them or that your gems will even correspond to the type of items that are in the workshop. So instead, you are focused on the here and now. You start looking at your workshop items, your dice, your, uh, your talents, and then your gems, and you start figuring out this labyrinthian maze on what specific four dice you're going to use and what items you're going to use and what sequence and then acquire an item that is the best possible item with the best possible ability that you might even activate this turn in order to trigger more additional stuff all to get either more resource production or more points right now. So this is what a typical turn might look like in Mana Forge. All right, let's roll dice. Got a bunch of water, a gem. Aha! Okay, so if I go two, four, and then I convert this to water gem, and I put this here, that'll be six, which could get me the trident, but the portal staff is worth more. What I could do, I could spend two, put this on here, and that'll be two to wind, and then I could get the portal staff, but then I have nothing left over. Oh, but I can flip this over to a water side, get a water gem, and then I can buy the portal staff for seven points, and I get a mana prism. Huh. That said, I really do find the puzzle-solving element of the game fun, and it is really enjoyable. There are a lot of aha moments where you're like, I'm brilliant, of course. If I just do this, then resolve this die, and then choose to do this, and then buy this item, I can combine that with the item that I already had in order to get this amount of points and produce this amount of gems, and I'll be all set up, hopefully, for next turn. And that's great. I really love that. But I will say that by the end of the game, with a bunch of different items with excessive amounts of production or point values tied to them, the amount of computation of capabilities is going to be a little bit dense and it's going to rely on some analysis that might be a little too opaque for some people and a little too paralyzing for others. Let's talk about the theme for a second. While it's true that each of the game's elements essentially boil down to different colors of currency, there are some moments where the theme of the game really shines. First off, it feels awesome slotting gems into your workshop, forever making them more powerful. Then the gorgeous art really cements a cohesive and imaginative world, kind of like a Middle Eastern Old Testament-y take on classic fantasy. Lastly, some really solid components like the supply board and the dice, reflecting the weird yet wonderful color palette of Mana Forge, help infuse the game with some mystery and wonder. Oh, and the first player anvil is super rad. There is a lot that I really like about Mana Forge. The way that you draft and combine talents, the awesome, sturdy components, the whole theme of forging these mystical objects in a really kind of exotic and unique take on fantasy, and the puzzle alone feels thrilling when you get to 
do some awesome combination of like 10 steps in order to get the best possible resource production and a whole lot of gems that can slot into your artifacts and then you buy an item and add it into your workshop in order to get some more points it feels really satisfying and like you're a genius which is awesome but that said, it does feel kind of shallow when the end result of this big, giant, expansive turn is that you get to buy one card and one card only, and that card is ultimately going to result in either producing more resources, giving you points, or giving you a way of converting resources into points. Ultimately, I do wish Mana Forge offered a little bit more. Some other track, some other investment, something that made it as dynamic and thrilling as I'd hoped it would be. But as it stands, I do think that it's probably going to fall flat for people who want multiple paths to victory or a lot of player interaction or a lot of deep systems to explore. But if you're looking for a great entry point into resource allocation, or maybe you just really love custom dice and dice games where you get to make decisions based off of what you roll, or you really dig the theme and you want to step up your lightweight gaming into something a little bit more crunchy to contend with, then there is a well-balanced, totally solid, approachable, and fun, albeit straightforward, game in Mana Forge. So that is the Cardboard Herald's review of Mana Forge by Mystic Tiger Games. What did you think of the game and what did you think of the review? Let us know in the comments below. If you enjoyed this type of criticism, then please let us know and I would love it if you chose to subscribe. So thank you so much for watching. I've been Jack for the Cardboard Herald. Right, we are here with Mana Forge by Mystic Tiger Games and Brian Klein. That was our audio for the video review, which I know some of you do like and some of you don't like. And the more feedback that I hear, the more that I'm going to really kind of gauge how often I do that. In truth, if I'm being honest with you, I think I can be honest with you right now because you guys, you're like all my personal best friends, or at least you are the people that I love bringing these reviews to is, you know, I was running out of written reviews to put onto TCBH reviews. And I know it's because this like video thing overtook the like written thing. And I really do love doing written reviews and I just wasn't doing as many. Luke Mensch, who has contributed a ton to the Cardboard Herald, has done a bunch and you've heard him on this podcast. He'll have more TCBH reviews. And I promise I got a couple more written reviews like in the works right now. There are a few that I haven't done for this, but I also want to make sure that I'm kind of spacing things out and tapping into different resources resources and talking about interesting points in cardboard heraldness and this was kind of one of those interesting ones uh, as far as upcoming reviews just a heads up uh, written reviews i'll have clans of caledonia that's like almost done and then the post curious tale of ord episodes three and four chapters three and four i'll have a review of that really soon and then i am going to be working on a terror mystica um or not Terra Mystica, what am I talking about? Terraforming Mars uh, review here soon of the uh, Hellas and Elysium. I'll have that up on TCBH Reviews. We already have a written review for that. And then also a 
uh, terraforming Mars, Venus Next, and also Prelude are going to be upcoming soon, along with a ton of other stuff. But really, we're here to talk about Manaforge. So this game is obviously there are things that I really like about it. There are things that I'm not really jamming on with the game. And by that extended sequence in the middle there where uh, during the video it's showing like an overhead uh, video of me actually playing the game. That's like the first time I've ever done that. And that is still one of my favorite video sequences that I've done because I, I did the like jump cut thing. I, I never do the jump cut thing. The like YouTube thing, you know what I'm talking about, where it just like is like a second of footage and then jumps to something else and jumps to something else. I, I really wanted to capture the kind of frenetic energy of that and also showcasing what seems like a long expanse of time but only taking about like 30 seconds and that seemed like a good technique to do. So this is an example of where, yeah, I tried doing something that was like an artistic and creative decision and I feel like it really panned out and you don't know how proud I was of that at the time and I still am and I'm not just trying to talk myself up but like that was a really notable thing and, and something that very rarely do I have like the the intent to capture something with the the skill of the craft that I'm working at often I'm the kind of person who's like I'll just keep on doing something till a happy accident happens and this wasn't one of those that, that was very deliberate and I think it, it worked very effectively and um you know overall the the thing that that sticks with me to this point about the review process and making this one is that it was really difficult for me to convey how much I thought this was a game that was going to be a really good game for a lot of people, but not necessarily for me. And to be able to really, really call into attention the things that I think are deserving praise about the game that I personally love and separating that from the things that I think other people would love and also calling attention to the criticisms that I think people need to know about going into the game. And I don't know, you'll have to let me know. You know, you can contact us at all the various contact methods that you can reach us at. Uh, and, and let me know what you think of, of how I managed to balance those things. And it's a really difficult thing to do because, you know, I, I don't get into board game criticism to to just like talk smack about games or to be like, man, I hate this or this is a dumb game and the creator should feel bad about it. Not that at all. In fact, like I want to celebrate the things that people love, even if I don't love them. And truthfully, I'm someone who's naturally predisposed to find the best in things. That's not to say that I disregard the the critical elements, but but I want to find what's the intrinsic value, what makes something cool, and, and comment on that because I find that that finding the beauty in something is really part of the the joy in life in general. And when you can't find that beauty or you can't reconcile that to all of the the issues that exist surrounding it, then then you have to start wondering like is it just that I I cannot see it in this type of thing. 
And I don't know, that, that's more reflections about myself and life and getting all metaphysical about things, uh, you know, like like faith and, and uh, belief and spirituality about how the, the world should work or is supposed to work. But really, that's my lens. And, and one of the values, um, as I was talking earlier about Luke Minch, of having other people to collaborate with on Cardboard Herald recently is that I can have other people presenting from their lenses and luke is for example someone who is a self-admitted curmudgeon when it comes to most things you know and he he's someone who who really looks for uh, a critical eye at the the things that he dislikes about something which is a great counterpoint to the the positivity with which i try to view things and we both really strive for capturing the things that even though we're predisposed to like or dislike something, to acknowledge the things that, that go against our predisposition. And I think that that's always a struggle to work towards. And it's especially a, a struggle when you want to make sure that the reader, the listener, the viewer is understanding that you can comment on something and say that, that something is... is is not for you or you think is a bad element even of a game like i like i said here like there are some mind-numbing aspects of the game that ultimately result in very little difference but that doesn't mean that you think it is holistically like in completion a bad product or a bad thing and that the same thing goes for being able to like say something you really enjoy about a game doesn't mean that you don't hold real criticisms. So that that's why I thought Manaforge was particularly an interesting game to have on TCBH reviews here. Another thing that I thought was really interesting is that this is like the realization of a dream for the the creator. I haven't had Brian on the podcast, though I should. Um, Brian reached out to me to see if I'd like to review the game, and I got a review copy of it. And there are so many cool aspects of the game that I related to more than anything. Like the the setting is such a fantastical setting, and I, I understood the instincts of creating the game the way that it was created. And I believe in the game and the creator in the sense that I would like to see it become more robust and to feel like there's more output or, or control or, or dynamic systems in the game because the the framework and of possibilities is there not just not just mechanically but thematically and you know it's not there right now for me at least I know there's a tons of people that really really dig Manaforge and I'm so glad that they do but I I want to see uh, where this game or the system or the setting can go in the future. And I think that for a freshman effort on Brian Klein's part, like this is something to be proud of. And, and there's like the little kid version of me who is playing Hero Quest and trying to make mock Hero Quest games that's like, this is even better than Hero Quest. Hey, big brother, check this out. Uh, some game I'm scratching on a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And, um, you know, like the realization of someone going, hey, I think I want to make a game. I don't have anyone to publish my game. 
but I think I can create a company to publish my game and I can utilize Kickstarter to do it. And I funded and I have a solid product that's being shipped off to Alaska in order for this Alaskan dude to review and then talk about it on a podcast. That is so freaking cool and compelling of a story. And it happens so many times in this industry, but rarely does in a, a modern sense in the last you know, couple of years uh, since the earlier days of Kickstarter, do you really get the sense that like a, a one person project or rather one person and all the dozens upon dozens of people who are helping them out and then all the Kickstarter backers really bringing something that feels complete and cohesive to fruition, which this game absolutely is. And there is something so damn endearing about that. So anyway, that's just some of my thoughts about what was going on with uh, this game. If you're wondering why my voice is so hoarse, I it, <laughs> it is because just earlier my son was having a really hard time sleeping and I read like a hundred pages. Well, it wasn't a hundred pages, but it felt like a hundred pages of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And we're quickly going to be done with that and probably quickly going to be done with all of the Narnia books. So for all of you parents or just avid readers out there, if you know of any really good fantasy books that are great for toddlers or slightly older than toddlers, um, you know, I, Syrian is three and a half, so he still definitely qualifies in toddler area but a, a story series that's definitely meant for kids but enjoyable by adults and is something that is not talking down to kids but at the same time is whimsical and imaginative and utilizing language and narrative devices that a, a younger child could understand for example like Redwall is something that when he's a little bit older, then that's totally going to be cool for him. But right now, the the narrative complexities of Redwall are a bit much. But the narrative complexities of the Narnia books are not so much because they're very straightforward. Every chapter is following exactly what happened in the last chapter, for the most part. And you don't have just different multiple competing storylines and perspectives and like motivations of characters. Um, but there's also a lot of really cool linguistics and interesting mythology and story building and character development that is enjoyable for parents. It's no wonder that the Narnia books are so popular. Anyway, so quick aside, as a desperate dad who's running out of books, I have been out of the children's fantasy book game for a long time since I was a child reading fantasy books. So if there's anything that you think would be a good fit, please also contact me at cardboardherald.gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter. Thank you so much for all your recommendations. Me and my son, thank you. Anyway, so that's it. Uh, we got a ton of really cool stuff on the horizon. You've already heard about most of it, and you can always check out all our stuff at all the different sources, especially on the video channel and whatnot. And I haven't said this in a while, but leave us a review on iTunes. Good, bad, whatever, you know, legitimate. I'd prefer it to be good, of course, but, you know, you do you. Anyway, so that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Jack for the Cardboard Herald, and this has been our TCBH review of Manaforge by Mystic Tiger Games. Go check it out.
Thank you for listening to the Cardboard Herald. As always, everything we do is ad-free and audience-supported. If you'd like to help keep it that way, find the Patreon link at the top of our webpage, CardboardHerald.com. We have several levels of support with various rewards. If you enjoyed the show, we do a whole bunch of other stuff, including reviews, interviews, and recommendations across writing, podcasts, and video. You can find that on our YouTube channel or by visiting any of our social media or our website. So with that out of the way, thank you again for listening to the Cardboard Herald. Thank you.